Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. On the show today, we have Dr. Chris Moore. Chris is a father of two girls, self-proclaimed pizza aficionado, and enjoys lifting heavy things just as much as he does playing tag. He is on the Men's Health Advisory Board, consults with athletes in the WWE, and regularly speaks around the world to companies including Deloitte, Johnson & Johnson, the CIA, and the FBI. In this episode, Chris will talk about ways to set yourself up for consistent good sleep so you can wake up feeling rested and ready to tackle your day. We will also be discussing the impact too little sleep can have on your body, particularly on your immune system and your appetite. Chris not only is a well-accomplished RD and someone I have admired and looked up to in my career, but he is also an expert on all things sleep. I'm so excited for you to get to take in this information because I promise you, if you're not getting good quality sleep each night, it can be a big factor in not only reaching your health goals like diet and fitness, but also in achieving a positive mood, better stress management, and a healthy immune system. I know for so long I didn't prioritize my sleep and I didn't even realize the negative effect it was having on so many other areas of my life until I started prioritizing it. And now I am happy to be in bed by 9 p.m. most nights and waking up without an alarm clock, feeling rested and in a good mood. Stay tuned to hear the most effective ways to take naps, when it's best to stop sipping on your coffee and wine, and if catching up on sleep actually works. Welcome to the show, Chris. I'm so happy to have you, especially to talk about sleep today, because that is one thing I know I have had a long journey with, and I know (laughs) lots of my clients have had, um, and I'm so excited to really just dive into the importance of sleep and easy ways that we can create better sleeping habits. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of just want to start with, why do we need quality sleep and what's really happening while we sleep that dictates our health and just how we feel on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. And I I love this topic. Um, When we think about well-being as a whole, sleep to me is is really the the cornerstone. And I'm saying that as a dietitian like you, you know, of course, nutrition is important. Of course, movement is important. But if your sleep is not in check, both the quantity and quality, really everything else is going to be out of balance. Now, why do we need it? Well, pretty much because it helps your body reset. It's it's like recovering. It's like recharging your body. So you think about, for example, with your phone, when your phone starts to, you see that red battery light up in your phone, you immediately run and you find a charger because you can't let it die. Well, essentially, we have that same barometer in our brains, in our bodies, but what do we do to reset? And that, that's what sleep does. And you know, we can get into some of the details a little bit later about the health benefits of sleep more than just having energy, which is great, but it helps you reset everything, brain, heart, everything is better with sleep. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you on And honestly, it took me a while you know, throughout my career to just realize how important sleep is and make sure that's such an integral part when talking with clients or making sure people are healthy. But it's so true. If, if you're not sleeping well, 
everything else that you could be working so hard towards, right? Like your nutrition or your, you know, you're going to the gym every day and trying to just get your body in a better place. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. So I'm excited that we'll get a dive into some of that. So my first, well, I guess my second question, but I have so (laughs) many questions today. So, um, but I know this is top of mind for a lot of people is Mm -hmm. how many hours are we supposed to get a night? Like what's the best amount, but then how does quality play into that? So can you kind of like, Oh, well, I took a two hour nap here that day. And then I'm adding it on to my five hours at night. So how does that all work? Right. Yeah. That's good point to start right there is what do we need sleep wise when it comes to quantity? um, First of all, so it's the general recommendation is seven to nine hours of sleep consistently. Um, So Again, there's a little bit of a range there, but the data shows that, you know, going down below that seven hours, even minimally, and we could talk about this in a little bit, starts to have some detrimental effects. But then on the flip side, if you're going above nine hours, you know, you think there are probably times in your life that you've done that. And it's usually when you've been sick and you're recovering from something. Well, because sleep helps you recover. So that seven to nine hours is a good range. Now, the next part of that, as you asked, the second part is you know, that's the quantity, but what about the quality? You know, if I get nine hours, but I'm waking up periodically every whatever hour to go to the bathroom and just tossing and turning, is that okay? But I'm not really, ideally, we try to get a pretty consistent seven to nine hours uh, most nights of the week. Now, the naps you mentioned, to be honest, naps are fantastic if they're not interfering with your sleep at night. So when are you napping? How long are you napping? All those play a role in the, it could, could play a role in the quality of your sleep and the quantity. So let's, you know what, let's go into napping then. If we're there, um, what would be like the ideal time to nap during the day and also amount of time napping? Like where do you get into trouble if you're taking too long of a nap or, cause I know mm-hmm. for me, if I, I'm not a napper, um, but occasionally if I take one, if it is longer than an hour, I wake up feeling so groggy and just, right. I, I wake up feeling worse, honestly. Mm-hmm. So 100%. I'm very curious. So, yeah, no, absolutely. So now when we're napping, so the general recommendation for napping is ideally before 2 p.m. Okay. So you're not starting to interfere with when your body's going to be winding down in the evening. And then also not much more than 30 minutes max. So kind of 20 to 30 minutes um, for a nap. But again, earlier in the day, if you're actually going to do it. Like I said, it is fantastic because what what sleep does, whether it's a short nap or that longer sleep in the evening, is it resets your body. And there's actually, there's there's a technical term for it, but think of it like almost like a thermometer. And in the thermometer, the mercury rises if you're sick. Well, your brain... And your body has the same type of thing, not mercury, but it rises up as you get sleepy. And now the only way to bring that back down, that chemical back down, is actually through sleep. So one of the ways that people often try to mask fatigue and mask low energy is with caffeine. Well, caffeine actually masks that particular chemical, which allows you to have a little bit more energy. But unfortunately, it doesn't clear that in your system. Sleep is the only thing that can do that, whether it's, again, a shorter nap, like we talked about, or in the evening, uh, it does the same thing. So, okay. So, let you know what? Let's go into caffeine then, too. Um, mm-hmm. When is the best time 
to stop caffeine intake? And, you know, does the amount, even if you stop before that time, the amount you have before then play a factor as well? Yeah. So this is always a hot button item. And, and I usually get some, some strange looks when I say this, <laughs> but the general recommendation is before 12 PM to start cutting off or to cut off caffeine. And that's pretty early for a lot of people. I just read something just actually this morning that uh, most of the population, almost 50% drinks about seven to eight cups of coffee per day it was about 44% of the population. I can assure you that's not before noon um, for, mo for most people. Um, and the reason is, so caffeine is, if you use caffeine, whether it's coffee or tea or any of the other sources, it, it's perfectly safe and healthy within reason. Um, but the problem is it, it stays in your body for a long time and it's called the half-life. And then the half-life of caffeine is around six to eight hours or so for most people. Now, what that means is half the dose of caffeine is still available in your system about six to eight hours after you consume it. So let's kind of put this into perspective. I wake up, I drink a cup of coffee, let's say 7 a.m. Okay, a traditional cup of coffee has about 100 milligrams of caffeine. So fast forward six hours, just for the sake of ease, 50 milligrams of caffeine is still available in my system. Well, then what if after the first cup of coffee, I had another mid-morning? Okay, well, then you have the, the compound effect and half that dose is available several hours later. And then what if I also have one at noon and I also have one in the afternoon, so I'm getting sleepy. Well, while most of the caffeine from that cup or those cups is worn off, there's still a good amount in your system. And again, I use the term compound effect because it is all additive. So now you're trying to go to bed at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and you still have some caffeine in your system. And you may think, well, I have no problem. I could fall asleep without an issue at all. And a lot of people say that to me. Um, but your brain stays awake. Your brain activity is significantly higher when there is caffeine in your system. So even if you're physically asleep, this gets back to the quality issue we touched on earlier. So that kind of affects like how deep of a sleep you can get Correct. into? Okay, got Correct. it. Because your brain's and, yeah. still going. Your brain is still going. You may not know it. You're, you're physically asleep. Your eyes are yeah. closed and so on, but your brain is still active. Yeah. And for, you know, I like to know too, for anyone listening, if you're like, oh, geez, you know, I have my three cups in the morning. I have one in the afternoon. How am I going to get through this? It's important to know. And I'm sure, Chris, you've seen it um, with clients as well. But, you know, a lot of us drink caffeine for the energy. But I find when I start to take caffeine away, and a lot of it is for sleep reasons, um, and also just we shouldn't have too much caffeine in a day, a lot of people get their natural energy levels back. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, they're not using that caffeine as a crutch. So it can, you can still have high energy without caffeine, but also right. just some ways that, um, you know, you can change your caffeine intake is in the morning maybe your first cup is a caffeinated cup and your second cup is a decaffeinated cup. Um, yeah. you know, there's still a little bit of caffeine and decaf coffee. There is, if you're looking for, um, 
if you see any with the Swiss method, they ha- they take out 99% of the caffeine. So a little bit less there, but, or if you do, you know, maybe half decaf, half regular, and then finally mm-hmm. switch to decaf, but just little ways. Cause I know if anyone's listening and they're like, I'm at five cups right now, how am I going right. to get down to having like two before noon? There are ways you can do it. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, think about too, like, doesn't mean you listen to us today. You better stop right now. To your point, there are ways to do it. And it doesn't even have to be like even just one cup. What if you cut down, maybe just push it back a little bit. If you normally have one at three or four in the afternoon, could you start to scale back a little bit or maybe make that last one decaf? Um, And then also think about why are you drinking coffee? If you like the flavor, fantastic. If you like the energy, fantastic. But then as you mentioned, Kate, there's other ways to get energy as well. So maybe those morning cups you enjoy full ca- fully caffeinated, but then normally if you have an afternoon slump, maybe you can go out for a walk or do something else that gives you true energy. And I'll give you a story. I, I was giving a talk one time uh, at a corporation in New Jersey, and there was an employee, uh, one of the people in, in the talk um, said, oh, you know, I have these, these two friends who I met at the office, and there happened to be a popular coffee shop right across the street from the headquarters. And he said, every day, two o'clock, we all go out for a break. We go to the coffee shop. We just catch up, don't talk work, et cetera. Um, and he said that was their, their pattern. And he loved it. He got you know connected with these two guys. And about a month later, he emailed me and said, you know what? We realized that we were, we were going to that coffee shop, not necessarily to drink the coffee, but to actually just catch up. And in this particular setting, there happened to be like a little, about a quarter mile loop um, right outside the headquarters. He said, so we started actually having like a walking, the three of us would go out and walk that little quarter mile loop. We got the same benefit. We connected even better. We connected with each other and we got some movement. So maybe think about some alternatives if you're normally a caffeine person all day, every day. Yeah, no, I love that. They actually have, um, in the Nordic countries, they call it a fika. Like they'll go, mm. there's actually a really funny commercial on it, but they'll go for a fika, which is like basically go to have a coffee, take a break, be social. And one thing I've really found works for people is a lot of the times too, or even in the afternoon, you just want something warm. Like if you're just looking for that warm cup or even in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, change it to an herbal tea, right? That right. naturally is caffeine free. Like we are hibiscus tea junkies over here. My husband and I constantly <laughs> have iced hibiscus tea in the fridge, but doing something like that, or even just in if it's the first thing in the morning, you really are just turning your coffee pot on because you want that warm, cozy drink, maybe right. start with some hot lemon water mm-hmm. and then switch over. So there's other alternatives too. Like, but it's exactly what Chris said. Find out why you're having it. Is it right. the flavor? Is it for that warm cup? Um, is it for the socialization? Because there's other things you can do, like taking a walk. That's going to probably help you reach your goals a lot sooner as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to dive into Chris, just because obviously our immune systems are at the forefront of everyone's mind right now. Right. So how does not getting quality sleep or even a lack of sleep affect our immune systems or like what's happening with our immune system while we're sleeping? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is one of the, the hot topics right now, because like you said, it's on everyone's mind, immunity, um, but even before, you know, what's what's going on now, we, we start to they start to look at sleep and how it impacts uh, disease states and then susceptibility just to the, the basic, you know, cold and flu and so on. So on a larger scale, we've it, research has shown that sleep 
is tied to things like cancer. Okay, so not necessarily immunity, but diseases like that. But then on the other scale, those who sleep less get sick more. And, and I honestly don't have the exact stat off the top of my head, but the susceptibility to cold was significantly higher when people got just a few hours of less sleep per night. So when I'm saying not sleep enough, I'm not talking about pulling all-nighters. It's as little as I mean, six hours of sleep a night, five hours of sleep a night. We start to see an increase in susceptibility to some type of illness. And you know, while we're on the topic of, of immunity and flu and cold specifically, you know, there's actually some data that shows that if you get the, the flu vaccine, for example, vaccines are not as effective if you don't sleep enough in the days leading up to getting them. So there's a lot of powerful data around the effects of sleep on overall health in so many ways. Oh, it's so interesting. And you know, I will say it frustrates me a little that like when I'm watching the news in the morning and they're talking about everyone trying to get their vaccines, why aren't they including the fact, maybe Chris, you need to get on there, right? That's it. <laughs> and, and educate them. Um, right. But that's really interesting to know. And I'm sure we all, I think in the back of our minds, maybe, you know, like, okay, if I'm not getting great sleep, I can see a correlation. I get sick more, but it's important to know that it could just be that five or six hours, because I know a lot of people that are like, I'm good with five or six hours of sleep. Like that's just right. me. I'm type a personality and I'm okay mm -hmm. with it. But, um, could you talk to us a little bit about the stages of sleep and what's happening during them and kind of connect some of the benefits there? Yeah. So great point. Let me, let me actually get the first part that, that you yeah. talked about with the people who say I get like five or six hours of sleep. I'm fine. Or four hours of sleep. Uh, the sleep researchers have said that the percentage of, po of the population who actually can thrive on that little sleep is like way less than 0.1%. Um, so I know there, we, we've all been there. We've all had long nights or maybe all nighters, um, you know, during college, we're thinking of like studying for exams or what have you. But in terms of thriving and really being optimal, you, it's, you need that, you know, seven-ish at a minimum hours of sleep a night. So I'll start start with that. Um, then the, the next part of the question is, what about the stages of sleep? So when, when we sleep, there are four, four stages of sleep that you go through each night. And among those four stages, so imagine like a little circle, it should take about 90 minutes to go through those four stages. Um, so initially, it's a lighter sleep, and then you go into a little bit of a deeper sleep. Then there's the dreaming phase, and then you kind of go into a real deep sleep, and then you start over. So each cycle, like I said, is about 90 minutes. And most recommendations, you think, just kind of back up in terms of how much time you need in bed and the 90 minutes. So it's around uh, anywhere from kind of four to six times you should go through those stages. Now, what's interesting is when you... If, when you're going through those stages, if anything interferes with them, like for example, and this is another hot topic we could talk about in a little bit, but let's say that you drink alcohol at night and, and, and more than just maybe one little drink, but maybe it was closer to bedtime, you had some alcohol in your system. Well, your brain doesn't, our bodies don't love alcohol, the effects on our bodies, whether you drink it or not. But what happens is when you're sleeping and your body's going through those stages, when the alcohol wears off in your system, regardless of what stage you're in, you'll wake up. And whether you know it or not, it could be something as simple as I have to get up to go to the bathroom because alcohol is a diuretic, or your brain and your body just might naturally jostle and wake up a little bit. 
Well, unfortunately, what happens if, let's say you're in the middle of stage three. Well, unfortunately, you go back to square one. You don't continue on where you left off, which means you essentially miss that whole level of deep sleep in that example. And we need all of those stages to really get a quality sleep. In fact, we need to dream every single night to really get the quality sleep. Whether you remember them or not, your brain does dream. That's an important part of this whole process. So if you're not, if your sleep's getting interrupted a lot, whether in the example I gave from alcohol or, or whatever it may be, unfortunately, when those stages of sleep are interrupted, you're not getting the quality you need. And that becomes a whole other issue in and of itself. So if there were a time, Chris, or like, when should you stop? If you are, you know, you're, you have your glass of red wine every night, or when mm-hmm. should you stop drinking alcohol before you go to bed? Yeah. So, so last call uh, should be at cl- about two hours before bed at the latest. Okay. It won't necessarily get all out, out of your system and depending if it's, like you said, a glass of wine versus, you know, four or five drinks at night is going to be a little bit different, certainly. Um, but the general recommendation is about two hours before bed, making sure that you're, you're cutting off alcohol. Um, so I mean, we could sit here and recommend morning drinking as an option, but I don't know. If, I don't know if that's going to go over well. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I don't think that'll go over well. But I'm curious too, because I like to make a distinction with clients between bed, like going to bed, and mm-hmm. ideal bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> because let's say, right, like we we're just talking about alcohol two hours before bed. Well, if you're going to bed at one in the morning, you could right. be drinking till 11. So is there an ideal time that we should be going to bed? Mm-hmm. There is. So generally speaking, it's about 10 p.m. Like so the, the sleep time, so you kind of 10 to 6 p.m. seems to be um when your body goes through its natural circadian rhythm and fluctuations throughout the evening and releasing melatonin and so on, um, it's kind of about that 10 to 6 p.m. should be those ideal sleep hours. Now, are there going to be times you may stay up later? For sure, right? But what, what I want to think about, what I always talk to people about is most of the time, what are your habits look like? And that, that's what's important. Might you stay up later on a Friday night? Potentially, and maybe you have some more alcohol on a Friday night, yes. Uh, maybe not, but you want to keep most of the time, ideally around that 10-ish p.m. And then again, ideally around that 6 a.m. wake up. Now, I know if you're a night shift worker, that's going to, of course, change things yeah. and so on. Um, but this is, we're talking ideal here. So if you can do that as, as close to that as possible, that would be great for your body. Okay. So that's like when we get like the most more deep sleep or it's just better quality between those hours? It is just because the naturally, um, the way the circadian rhythm in your body works. And again, the natural secretion of melatonin increases towards that 10 ish PM, um, and then fluctuates throughout the, throughout the evening and so on. Um, so again, I know that may not work for everybody. And what would I also want to think about is what are the habits aside in addition to alcohol, what are the other habits leading up to that? Cause like you said, going to bed and falling asleep, maybe two different things. So what does that evening routine look like? Cause that's a big part of this puzzle as well in terms of quality sleep. Yeah, no, that's, that's a big part. And I do, I, I want to dive into that, um, in terms of like, what, what would you say is the ideal bedtime routine? If you could have one or just like little changes you, someone could start making today, um, that could really change their sleep habits. Yeah. So 
you start to back up from when you're actually getting in bed. Here's another thing that people usually don't, don't love to hear, but turning off electronics before bedtime should be part of that evening ritual. Now, that means phones and computers and TVs and all of that stuff with some of you might be thinking, oh my gosh, my, my bedroom is like a virtual office. And I usually fall asleep with a, like a scrolling phone in my face until it like lands on my chest and I'm asleep. Um, so ideally, there will be no electronics. And here's the recommendation. Generally, 60 minutes before bed, keeping electronics off. And the, the reason for that is not just because I want to be really mean, um, but the reason is when you look at any electronics, again, TV, computer, iPad, phone, they all emit blue light. And what these blue light does is I use the term melatonin earlier, which you may have heard of. It's a hormone in your body. Like I said, secretes it naturally. Well, blue light suppresses secretion. So then all of a sudden you're laying down, finally going to bed, but that, that melatonin secretion is delayed. And there's actually a term that researchers are now using, calling it a melatonin hangover. So the next day you may not feel great, well, potentially it's because that melatonin was not secreted sufficiently or efficiently or in a proper manner. And therefore, you're still not getting into those deep stages of sleep that we need consistently. So now, if, if you're thinking 60 minutes, no chance, like I'm right up here until the second my eyes close, just like I said with the caffeine piece earlier, can we scale back a little bit? Can we go like 15 minutes before bed? And then use that time to the basics, to brush your teeth, to wash your face, to mm. take off makeup, whatever it may be, and just kind of calm down and tone down a little bit in, the, in that short interim. And then maybe you can start to expand those, those minutes or hours a little bit from there. Yeah, no, there's definitely a mix of people because I will try and recommend similar things. Um, mm. But there's, you know, there's few people that will say, okay, I'm fine with getting in bed and reading a book you know, an hour before bed. And I have to say, even for myself, like my husband and I usually were watching a movie before bed. And I will always try and create some of that like white space by, okay, brush my teeth, you know, journal a little bit, wash my face, kind of like get ready for bed. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. So we both wear, once dinner is done, our blue light glasses go on. And Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, you have to get a quality pair, but I swear, Chris, I feel a difference. Even like when we, you know, take them off and let's say the screen's still on just before we turn the TV off, it's like this bright, like my eyes can't even take it. And so I feel Mm -hmm. like it's working. And I actually notice the nights if I forget to wear them or we're traveling and I forgot to bring them, I notice a difference. But I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on blue light glasses. Yeah. You know, I've seen, I haven't seen a lot of data on them, to be honest. But me either. Uh, I, no. And I've heard some sleep researchers talk about them specifically, and it seems to be a little bit more speculative right now. Um, but at the very least, we know they're not hurting you. If they're making a difference, and they potentially could be, because it does block out, I don't know what percentage, depending on the brand and quality, like you said, a good chunk of that blue light, it can make a difference, I, I would think, in terms of at least blocking that blue light. So maybe that would affect your own internal melatonin. Um, I know there's a lot of you know, brands out there. So if you want to invest in them, I do have a pair myself. Um, I, I don't know that they make a difference, but like I said, I know they're not hurting me. So I do wear them. My kids do make fun of me at night. Um, but 
I feel like they're doing something. So again, that's for me, that's enough of a placebo or a nocebo effect. <laughs> exactly. Purely anecdotal over here. But I wonder too, if it's a combination when we got them, we also started changing the settings mm-hmm. in, which is something you can do too, like change the settings in your TV for the, like to make it warmer. Same with your, if you know, you're working late, you find most nights, change the settings in your laptop to, um, be more warmer light and same with, you know, you can easily do it on your iPhone or phone as well. So I don't know if it's the combination of both, but yeah, definitely the placebo effect over here possibly, but, um, something that if you're listening and you're like, you know, I just can't like, that's my time. I'm going to be watching movie or I do have to work late. It's just how maybe you can try some blue light glasses. Then again, just create like that, maybe 15 or 30 minutes of that white space. Yeah. Let me, I'll add something else to that. I I would say probably big picture. It was probably not the first thing I would say that you need to go out and buy blue blocking glass. There's probably other pieces to the puzzle (laughs) that are probably bigger ticket items, but again, they certainly can hurt. The the other piece that you mentioned um, to me, you know, watching a movie is depending on the intensity of the movie is depend is different than sitting in front of my laptop and working because then your brain is also working and sleep is a time for your brain to tone down and to recharge. So if it doesn't have that time to do that, again, it's going to take a lot longer to fall asleep. And you know, I've, I understand sometimes there are going to be opportunities or, or needs to work later into the evening. And yes, that happens. Um, but most of the time, if we can at the very least shut down work, then that is going to be a little bit better. I was talking recently to a company and I was an international company and the one person said, you know, my, my main contact is China. And he said, so, you know, on their time zone, it's very different from the U S time zone. He said, so we're all trying to coordinate and work together. I am up very, very late, which is the morning for them. And there's times I need to do that. I get it. I understand that. I'm not saying that 10 to six, you know, 10 PM to 6 AM all the time and, and no other option. We need to be realistic, but we also need to, as much as we can, keep that white space, that term that you mentioned. I, I, I love that. I use that all the time. Um, and then really, sometimes you have to speak the, your, your truth and really make sure that this is important. And it's, it's your livelihood. It's your how effective you are. It's your health. So really take care of that sleep because it's so important. Yeah, no, that's interesting, Chris. I never thought about like what... I've always just thought of if your blue lights on, but not what are you actually doing, whether it's Mm -hmm. working or watching like, you know, a comedy, which your brain's probably pretty much shut off and you're just enjoying more. Um, So that's really interesting. I do want to touch on kind of getting back to this piece of if your sleep isn't good, how can it affect other healthy habits you are trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. So I know we've talked a lot about like while you're sleeping, it's a time to reset. And a piece of that is like resetting your hormones. So can you talk a little bit more about Chris, um, you know, the resetting of our hormones and particularly our hunger hormones and our satiety hormones and how that can play a role if you are trying to change your diet or better your nutrition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's these things that we, you know, we don't necessarily think about when I'm trying to change my diet, for example, I'm trying to eat a little bit better. And my sleep affects that. And yeah, it absolutely does. If we're not sleeping enough, and again, I keep using the term sleeping enough, it's Data shows, I mean, just an hour less than what's recommended. So six hours a night 
we will eat more the next day. And most data is showing around 300 plus calories the next day above and beyond your normal. And those calories are usually from higher sugar, higher fat, higher fat items. So the choices aren't great. And then the quality isn't great either. So it's, it's above and beyond where you should be, several hundred calories more. Um, and the quality isn't great. So we think about you know, our, our hunger hormones are increased. Um, so and our satiety hormones do decrease typically when we don't sleep enough. So if we're more hungry the next day, then of course, it's likely that we're going to sleep on a very simple scale, even outside of hormonal change. When we don't sleep well, we don't have energy. Our energy is lower. When we don't have energy, we often turn to what can give me quick, fast energy right now. And those go back to the usually higher sugar, quick, easy calories. So unfortunately, where we're doing ourselves a disservice when we're trying to we're trying to change our work diet, we're working so hard on it, you know, we're not sleeping enough. So we have a negative effect on our overall outcome there. And what about what we eat? during the day? Can that, or even like what we eat for dinner? Like, is there an ideal, ideal things we should be eating at dinner that could help our sleep or things that we're eating during the day that can negatively affect our sleep? You know, not, not that I've seen in terms of the quality of the food and that doesn't mean it's not out there. I just haven't seen it, you know, outside of the caffeine, like we talked about, but I will say, um, not necessarily quality, but quantity. So, Again, the gigantic, huge dinner and then roll over and go to bed, not recommended. So when we think about portions, that can play an effect or can can play a role in the outcome or the quality of your sleep. I haven't seen specific types of foods, though, that keep you awake or, or don't. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of research. I think there still needs to be more done, but that um, and for women in particular, if you have too low carb of a diet throughout the day. Um, it can actually spike your cortisol before bed. So sometimes adding in like a whole food starch, like half a sweet potato or something at dinner can help. But again, it's, you know, there still needs to be some more research done, but I thought that was interesting. And again, Mm. you know, everyone's cortisol levels can change by just their daily habits and also their internal system. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping they have more research on that, just of things you could eat during the day to maybe help with sleep or improve it. So we'll have to see right. TBD, right? Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's really interesting. Again, if it's, we can start to tweak the quality through the foods we eat throughout the day, I think that's, that's hugely important. Yeah. What about Chris, what about supplements that can help before bed? I know for me, I am a routine magnesium person. I mm-hmm. love my magnesium. I probably take it like one to two hours before bed. Um, okay. and I do find it's just very calming, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, magnesium is an interesting one. And for you know those who aren't familiar, so magnesium is a mineral that's used through hundreds and hundreds of reactions and actions in our body. And there's some data that, like you mentioned, it does help calm you a little bit. Now, on the extreme level, you think of milk magnesia, the supplement, um, which again, you don't want to calm yourself that much and have that outcome, but it does help your, can help your muscles relax, um, according to some of the data. So there, there are some data that, that take eating adequate magnesium and or adding a quality supplement may help that relaxation stage and relaxation phase to help you wind down in the evening. Um, so something, something to consider. I think there's some, some promising data there for sure. And what about, 
melatonin. So I know for me, if I ever take it, which I, I would say I, I more rarely take it, but if I am traveling and there's some type of change in time zone, or I'm just having some issue sleeping, I only need like one milligram and I am good. Um, but sometimes I'll find I'll get clients and they've, they're having issues sleeping and they just put themselves on 10 milligrams of melatonin because they went to the store. That was the highest amount they could find. And they're like, you know, melatonin helps you sleep. And And then I have to explain it can actually backfire if you take too much, but I'm just curious, like on your overall thoughts on melatonin, um, and if you recommend it or, yeah, I, I, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with melatonin is an interesting one. I used the term earlier. It's a hormone. All of our, all of our bodies produce and secrete and naturally increases into the evening. So just theoretically, you might think, well, it makes sense. I might want to increase it even more, like you mentioned, or maybe I can watch TV and it decreases that I could just add my own in and, and negate that effect. doesn't quite work like that. Um, what I've seen is exactly what you said that the the benefits of melatonin seem to be for when you're changing time zones, um, more so than just on a consistent basis, adding melatonin into your natural diet. Um, So there there are some promising data. It it is one of those things that I haven't seen it negatively affecting people. Then again, like you said, just because some might be good doesn't mean more is better. Um, So the general recommendation um, is around like, one to three milligrams a day. Of course, there are some products that have a higher amount. Um, But like I said, most of the data seems to suggest that unless you're really changing time zones, and the reason is because now your your melatonin will be back in the old time zone. It's not catching up yet, caught up to where you are, that adding a supplement might help. But unless you're doing that, it doesn't seem to have a, a huge positive benefit. Yeah. Like it's almost like, let's try to naturally get our melatonin levels up right before bed. Like we were talking about minimizing mm-hmm. blue light and, um, you know, creating that time and space before bed. But it is interesting because, you know, when people are, if you take too much melatonin, that's when you can actually be like lying awake and be exhausted but you can't fall asleep. So it can have the opposite effect or you can have crazy nightmares and crazy dreams. So know that if you have been taking melatonin or have tried it and that has happened, that means you're taking too much. And if you're not sure how much you should be taking, start with a half a milligram or a milligram and just go up by a half a milligram until you hit that sweet you know, that sweet dose. And like Chris said, you know, unless maybe you're changing time zones or things, let's try to naturally build up our melatonin levels. Um, and then if you need extra support, that's another way you can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. so other things, Chris, cause I know we are wrapping up, but you know, we talked about, right. Like eliminating some of the blue light, not having alcohol two hours before bedtime, um, mm-hmm. not having caffeine, after I'm twelve, like a fun sponge over here. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's true. I'm sure you get so many looks, <laughs> right? Um, but are there other things like I know, um, you know, whether it's temperature or just other easy things that people can start implementing today to create just a better like better sleep habits in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. It's good. The term is is. Sleep hygiene is often used. So we hit on the big ones, caffeine, alcohol, blue light, like from, from electronics. You brought up temperature. Um, so there is, does seem to be an ideal 
temperature for sleep. And that is, this might surprise people, 62 to 68 degrees. So pretty chilly. Um, now, in the winter months, depending where you live, that might not be as challenging. The summer, again, it might, might be more challenging because you think, well, I have to turn my thermostat way, way down to get there. And if you share your bed with somebody, that there's usually two people who usually disagree on what the temperature should be. From a research standpoint, I'm saying 62 to 68 degrees seems to be ideal um, for, for getting the most, the highest quality sleep. Um, the other piece is the, the light in your room or lack of. And they say, if you can see your hand in front of your face, your room is too light. Now, I know when we first, my wife and I first heard that, we started thinking like, yeah, our room's pretty dark, the, the blinds are closed, and that was the extent of it. And then you start paying attention, and there's a, there's a lot of lights that may you may not even be aware of. Like, yes, the blinds were closed, but there's still light coming through some of the little cracks. Or we had the, the house alarm in our house happened to be in our bedroom, so that was lit up all night. Or if you have a smoke detector um, in your room, that usually has a light on it, and all, or a TV that might have a light even when it's off. So all those little things start to add up and your room could be a lot more light than you expect. Um, so one, again, maybe the easiest solution might be the, the, I don't know what they're called, like the little masks, sleep masks. If you don't mind sleeping with those, I personally don't find them comfortable, but some people love them. Um, or think about some other options if it's if, um, in your room, if it's your blinds. Could you get some room darkening shades that, that actually cover those up? That's what we did. Um, we we don't have a TV in our room. We don't. We no longer have the bedroom, the house alarm in our bedroom. Um, so we really started to making making it as like really as dark as humanly possible, and have noticed a huge difference. So temperature, light plays a role in, in the sleep hygiene. Um, those two big. Those are two big pieces to the puzzle. So so no nightlight. Ideally not. Now, again, now, <laughs> yeah. I, I, want, I want to make sure, of course, like when my parents come to visit, it's more for a safety thing. Like yes, not, yes, yes. that's the issue, I'm not going to say, you know, don't be safe. You're like, But maybe if you put it in the bathroom versus right in your bedroom, uh, depending on their proximity, that might be an option. Um, Interesting. So again, think about each of these like big ticket items and think, what can I start with and see if that helps me? Okay. Awesome. Okay. One last question before we do a little bit of our rapid fire, but I get this question a lot, Chris. And sometimes I, I, you know, I can't say research wise, I've seen too much. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Can you, I'm assuming the answer is no, but can you catch up on sleep? So let's say you had a really crazy week and you know, your sleep was more in that five, to seven hour range each night. Can you then say, oh, well, Saturday, I have nothing going on. I, I can sleep in all day. Does that help or work or? It, it doesn't, unfortunately. That's <laughs> probably, I get that question probably more than any. Um, so, you know, what you can't catch up, what I would just say is try to get back to adequate sleep if you do have those, you know, longer nights um, or, or shorter nights, I should say. Try to Try to get back to where you were. You know, out of everything we've talked about, sleep researchers say the number one most important thing you can do is being consistent with your schedule. So trying to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day um, or, or approximately the same, the same time each, each night, each day um, for, for the, the, so your body gets into a pattern um, of those sleep hours. 
Yeah, no, that's a great tip. I love that. Um, Okay. So where Chris can people connect with you? Where can they find you and where can they just learn more about sleep um, or everything else? You know, we will be having Chris on later in a few months um, to talk about stress and mood, which he is very knowledgeable about too, but where can people connect with you? Yeah. Awesome. So our website, um, so our, my, my last name is more M O H R. Our website is more results. MOHRresults.com. Um, so we have some information on there, certainly about a variety of topics, nutrition and otherwise. And specifically, because we've gotten so many topics and questions and um, around sleep, we actually, my wife and I created a whole video course around sleep specifically. So it's that same moreresults.com backslash sleep. And we actually, like I said, we have a video course um, on sleep specifically. Oh, I love that. So people can really learn more. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Oh, that's great. Well, everyone go check Chris out there and we are going to end with our little rapid fire question. So first thing that comes to mind, Chris, our first one is what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? Walking outside. So getting outside, even, even I, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, it's not sunny all the time. But just some, just to get outside um, is, is number one for me. Yeah, love that. Fresh air goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, are you a coffee or tea person? Both. I have tea, decaf tea right here, herbal tea, but definitely coffee in the morning. Okay, and how do you do? You put anything in your coffee, or are you? Yeah. Yeah, I usually just put a little bit of whole milk in there. Okay. Awesome. You should see mm-hmm. sometimes we get people that are like, they have a whole routine. Others are strictly <laughs> black coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah pretty, pretty basic. We'll get a whole <laughs> milk and that's it. Love it. Okay. And this one is my favorite question. Favorite okay. home cooked meal. Mm, something for those who might be Italian, it's called alio olio, which I don't, pro- I, I am kind of Italian. I'm from New Jersey and half Italian. I probably don't enunciate that exactly how it should be. But what that is, is garlic and oil over pasta. Um, super basic, um, but it is by far my favorite meal to make and or eat. Um, so it's garlic, oil, pasta, a little parsley, some salt and pepper. Usually have a side of fish and we're good to go. We had it last oh night for dinner, as a matter of fact. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Chris, I love that you said that. So before we moved out here to California, I actually did um, a three, I went to culinary school for three months in Calabria, Italy. And my favorite thing out of all these extravagant things we learned how to cook was Uh olio. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so when I came home, um, my, my husband's family asked if I could make like one thing and I was like, okay, it's me really basic. And I know it's gonna be easy for me to cook, but it's, it's out of this world. So I love that you said that you're probably gonna be the only person that will give that answer, but oh, that really hits home. (laughs) Oh, I love that. It's, and it's, it's funny. It is such a basic recipe, but, but it's pretty delicate. If you don't get the timing right, it can be off. You Um, can't burn that garlic. (laughs) No, definitely not. And I'm going to give you a tip that I learned from a friend of mine who's who's a, a true Italian chef from Rome, but now in the States, but he added, he said, try this out. Um, he added ginger to it. And curry oh. powder, huh? Which sounds super strange, and I'm like, no, Lorenzo, no way. And he's like, just try it. And now we always add ginger, like fresh ginger, and yeah. curry powder is 
like makes it even like one step above. Oh my awesome. gosh. And, and a lot, like how much curry powder, just a little bit or yeah, yeah. A, a decent amount. I mean, it's not crazy. I usually put it in the yeah. oil first with the garlic, it's a little sweet flavor, oh. a whole another level. Oh my gosh. I'm going to try that because it is, yes. it's, it's such a simple and delicious dish, but any way to Ooh. like elevate it a little bit or, yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, well, okay, thanks yeah. so much, Chris, for being on. And like for I said, sure. everyone, we are going to have Chris back on to talk about stress and mood. So make sure to look out, um, for that episode as well. And we will talk soon. Awesome. Thanks so much Kate, for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. There was so much good information in that episode. And one thing I want to highlight for this week's actionable step is I want you to work on being in bed as close as you can to 10 p.m. Sorry if I'm bringing you back to being a child and your parents telling you have to go to bed, but it's for your own good so you can get more time in that rest and restoration stage of sleep. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. Seriously, we want to hear from you. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.